That's a good song right there. It's a great message to that song. And uh, we're going to continue our message uh, in the book of Hebrews this morning as we continue our theme for 2020 to, to fix our eyes on Jesus, uh, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, so let's go to God in prayer so we can jump right in. Well, Father, we're grateful that you loved the world so much that you were willing to send Jesus to rescue us, to save us from the dominion of darkness. Uh, Father, we will never forget that. I pray that our gratitude just wells up within our hearts, and I pray that this morning that we can have hearts that are soft, willing to listen, God. I pray that uh, we don't harden our hearts or uh, drift away from you or the message that you have for us through your son, Jesus. And I just pray for those that are visiting us as well, that they can feel at home here and uh, that they can draw nearer to you and understand your will for their lives. And uh, just pray, uh, Father, your blessing uh, on this service through the power of your spirit. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the last time uh, we, we talked uh, about the book of Hebrews, uh, there was this concept that kept coming up over again. You know, the author of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who, who the author is. We don't know exactly the date he wrote it or who he wrote it to, but we can kind of piece some things out. But the last time we talked, there was something that he kept repeating over and over again. And it was this moment in Israel's history when God was trying to get through to them and they simply were hardening their hearts. I mean, they heard what God said, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. I'm going to take you to the promised land. I got you. Don't worry about it. I'm going to do it. And the people just, they just would not believe him. They wouldn't listen. So they met his message with distrust. They even got to the point where they, they felt like God was out against them. He brought us here to kill us. We might as well go back to Egypt. I mean, that's how bad it got. And so the author of Hebrews, he's trying to remind them, don't go back there. <laughs> you know, every time you hear God's words, whether it be through Scripture, through another spiritual person, however, don't harden your hearts. Don't go there. Listen. Be soft. Respond with trust, allegiance, and obedience. Trust allegiance and obedience. That's what we need to listen for, and that's how we need to respond when God speaks to us. And we kind of ended it where he talked about the author of Hebrews. He was like, listen, God's words are all alive. They're living. They're active, you know, and you, you need to respond. I mean, and, and the word is like a sword. I mean, it's double-edged. It cuts both ways. It can either cut you and judge you, or it can cut you to free you and liberate you. It all depends on your response. And you're laid bare. You're naked. Your neck is bared. The sword is there. How are you going to respond. That was kind of the, the imagery he gave. And so that was kind of where we left off. What is our heart going to be when it comes to responding to the message of God that's most clearly heard through Jesus? And so this morning, we're going to kind of focus in on uh, this aspect of Jesus. Jesus the priest, his prayers, and this concept of perfection. You know, so, you know, alliteration, you got to figure it out. PPP. There you go. So, I almost did person for prayers, and you'll see why when we get there. First thing I want to talk about, priests, you go, well, we don't need this. We're, you know, this is just for certain religions where they have a place where there's a guy that wears a unique clothes, and you go into this box, and you confess everything. And we, in the West, we, we don't understand this concept of priest very well. But a priest, it's very simple. A priest is an intermediary, all right, a mediator. Uh, the Latin word for priest actually is pontifex, all right? Do you know what that really means? Bridge maker. 
That's what the word literally means, to make a bridge between two, right? So that, that's just a concept of a priest, a, a, a bridge maker between humans and God. That's, what, that's the role of, of a priest. And so right after this concept of God's word is living and active, you know, we get this visual of Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. So let's read this. So then since we have a high priest, a great high priest, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And so this, we're going to look at this a little bit as we make it through our message this morning. First thing I want to talk about is uh, not only do we have a priest, okay, he's a great priest. And this concept great, that's actually where we get the word like mega, literally. Like, that's what the word, this, like, we got a mega priest, right? This guy is, he is the high priest. He's a great high priest. His abilities to be our mediator are surpassed by no one, okay? So we should have confidence in his ability as a mediator for us. And here's the deal. Our priest has actually entered the real heaven, okay? He hasn't, he doesn't operate in a temple built by hands. And he, can, he doesn't just go in once a year to deal with people's sins. And he's not really scared to go in there like the, the human priests are. Those guys were scared. They didn't know if they were going to make it out. They had a rope tied around their ankle. And if anything bad happened, they could be pulled out because no one else could go in there. Okay, how would you feel if it was your turn to go in there? You, you'd be a little scared, right? But we've got, he's entered heaven. He's entered the real heaven. I love this quote. Jesus passes through the material, visible heaven to enter the divine, unshakable realm of God's real presence. That's the, that's the high priest we have. He's not dealing with places that built by human hands. He went into the real heaven. And guess what? He didn't go in as a scared guy who his turn was up. He went in as the son of God. Okay, so he's going in with privileges. Okay, and that's important for you and me, guys, because guess who he's there representing? Us. It's good to have the sun on your side. Very good to have the sun on your side. And because of that, guys, because we have these benefits, the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he is the great high priest. He has the ability to help us get close to God, right? With that privilege, why in the world, why in the world would we let go of our faith? Why let it go? Why drift away? When God God's presence, we are ushered into it by his very own son. You would be a fool to leave the community of believers. And that's what the author was trying to fight against because the people were thinking about, I don't know about this Christian faith. And the author's like, what? What are you thinking? We have somebody that's speaking on behalf of us in God's own prevalence, presence. Why would we pledge our allegiance to our old way of life instead of Jesus, right? And here's the beautiful thing. Uh, Another beautiful thing about Jesus is he understands our weaknesses, all right? He faced the challenges that we faced, and we're going to talk a little bit about that more in a minute. But that, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. You know how some people, when they, when they face the same challenges that you face and they've done well, sometimes people like that are actually harsh when you go through the struggle. I made it. What's your problem? You know, some people can be like that, you know? 
Like they, 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 they achieve something and then look down on you because you can't get there. You know, but that's not the heart of Jesus. So Jesus actually lived life as a person and had to deal with the temptation to walk outside of God's will for his life. Hey, man, man, just go ahead and turn this stone to bread. You can do it. You might as well do it. Just go ahead and eat. Man, you're, you're, a, you're a Jewish man. How old are you, bro? You ain't married yet? There's women all over the place, bro. What are you doing? Get yourself a woman. Why are you going to go to the cross? That's ridiculous. That's shameful. <laughs> just go ahead and just make yourself king right now. People will follow you. Just do it now. Don't worry about the cross. He was tempted to go outside of God's will for his life, too. And he had to battle. <laughs> he had to battle. And guess what? Guess what? He didn't sin. Wow. So wait, let, let me get this straight. So there's someone, there's someone who is, who is mediating for you and me in the presence of God as God's son, which is a great privilege, and he understands what we've gone through, so he's eager to help us. He knows the struggle, and he's eager to help us because he's sympathetic, and he's empathetic, and he's compassionate. So he's got that eagerness to help you and me, and then he's never offended God. So he can approach God with a clean slate. He can approach God on your behalf to plead for you, to intercede for you without having to deal with his own sin. That is a great privilege that we have. Why in the world would you drift away from that? Why, why, would, you, why would you leave such an amazing place that we have? You know, so since Jesus is doing this for us, we don't have to wonder how God feels about us. No, we actually can go in confidence to God. We can, because of who Jesus is, not because of who you am, and, wow, we, we're not very good in our flesh, right? Thank goodness we have Jesus. And then we will receive what? Grace and mercy when we need it most. Whew. Amen to that. We're not, we're not just going to receive judgment, condemnation, because we got Jesus pleading for us, helping us in God's presence. We need Jesus as our high priest, and he does a good job of it, and you would be an idiot to think that you could just live your life outside of God's uh, will with Jesus not there for you. So don't give up your faith, all right? We have a great high priest. And then we have this concept of prayers, you know, because see, Jesus, he lived that life like we lived, right? And this is uh, probably one of the more popular passages of Hebrews. Let's read that together. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Some of your translations might say, you know, during Jesus' life in the flesh or something like that. You get the point, all right? Jesus lived as a person like you and I. And how did he live his life, okay? Why would Jesus have to offer up prayers and petitions? Why is he crying? <laughs> what is he going through that he has to do that? The same thing you and I are going through, Okay. Here's the deal. What, did, what, what made Jesus cry to God? Let's think about it. Cry out in prayer. Ask God. He saw human sin and the effects of it, and he cried out to God to help people. 
He endured betrayal from even those in the church, quote unquote. He dealt with betrayal even from within. He dealt from persecution from people from without, right? He's trying to help people. They're accusing him of all kinds of things. These are some of the things that Jesus, he was, he had to suffer humiliation. He had to suffer physical harm. These are the things that, 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 that caused him to, to cry out to God with, with loud cries and, and tears. There's emotion. He's passionate. These are some of the things I hope that we're praying about too. I hope we're praying for people's souls. I hope we see the pain in this world and respond to it in prayer, right? Not just writing letters to our government officials or whatever, but going to God, man. God, help this world. This is tough. The sin that we see in our lives should cause us to, to cry out to God to, to pray. And, and that's how he lived his life because he knew God could save him. And you say, well, God didn't do a very good job last time I checked. Jesus died on the cross. So God, I guess, didn't really love Jesus enough to answer his prayer in the affirmative. And that's where you're wrong. And you know as well as I do, that's where a lot of us get stuck. God didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted, so how can he, I don't feel loved by him. So doesn't this passage say that God heard his prayer, that Jesus prayed to him because he could save him from death. You know, God saved me from the cross, but he still died, right? You could say, well, what's up, what's up with that? I don't know the way I, the way I read it. Last time I checked, where's Jesus right now? Is he dead? No, he's not. <laughs> he was saved through death. <laughs> you could say he was rescued out of death. And I, I believe God did answer that prayer, okay? You know, and so, so I, I, I think we need to reevaluate how we look at even this passage because many scholars will debate it. Uh, but I believe Jesus was absolutely saved out of death because he's alive right now. Amen. You know, and, and he was heard. He was heard not just because he was God's son. And I think we missed that in the translation. I think that's more what, it's, what the author's trying to get at. I think he's trying to get at, don't think God heard Jesus' prayers just because he was the son. He was the radiance of God's glory. He was the exact representation of his being. Through him, he made the universe. Because none of us can really stand up to that. So if that's the criteria for getting our prayers heard, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. But I think what the author's getting at is he was a son, but that wasn't the reason. That wasn't just the reason he was heard, that God responded with help and compassion. He was heard because he had a reverent submission. He had a reverence for God and who he was and to submit himself and to yield his life to God's will and not just follow his own will. And you and I can do that. We can do that. All right, but here's the deal. We got to cry out to God. We got we to gotta have a life characterized by praying and petitioning God or else we ain't going to make it. It's not going to happen. And some of us have lacked that passion in our prayers because we have drifted and we've forgotten what it means to walk this type of walk. But Jesus is our pioneer. He shows us the way and we need to follow. If these were the things that he did when he lived on earth in the flesh, those are the things we need to do. Cry out to God. Know that Jesus is mediating for us. Knowing that Jesus is help, helping get the benefits of God and passing them on to us in our time of need, right when we need it. That, there's, that Jesus can do it because he hasn't offended God. And we're in Christ. We're in Jesus. So we can get those benefits. Jesus wants to help us. He sympathizes with us. And that's our state in this world. We're not left alone. But we will suffer. We will suffer. And, and how did, again, how did Jesus suffer? It wasn't, oh, man, 
there was a bad recession and no one liked carpentry anymore and he lost his family business and man, he really suffered. Maybe he did or didn't, I don't know, but I don't really think that's what he's getting at. I think it's the stuff we talk about. It's seeing the state of the world and, and dealing with people that burn you up and bother you and hurt you and do things to you that you don't appreciate or don't like. It's the humiliation. It's the challenges. But there's something deeply helpful and gives us education when we struggle. We need to go to the school of suffering to be like Jesus. We've got to learn how to suffer and not think that when we suffer, it's because God's against us. This scripture is throwing that in the trash. It's saying if you're a pioneer, if you're the author of the faith had to learn through suffering, who are you to think you can avoid it? <laughs> in fact, the world outside is telling you you're suffering. You're being, an, you're an outcast in this culture. You left our culture so comfortable. You had so many relationships. You left us to join this Christian group. Now you're in this weird group following weird customs. You're on the outskirts. Why would you stick with those people and follow that God? You're ridiculous. What are you doing, right? You're sh we don't even believe you exist anymore. You are disowned. You we're cutting you off. And people were, ex they were dealing with this. Even the government, when we read later, it seems like even the government was against them, confiscating property. They were suffering. They were dealing with hardship. And some of them were wondering, is this worth it? Surely God wants me to be happy. Why am I suffering? <laughs> and this, I think the author of Hebrews is reminding you, you may suffer at, in the days of your life on earth, but that's not the end. It'll teach you something. And you know what it'll teach you? It'll teach you how to hold on to your faith. Suffering teaches us how to hold on to our faith. And Jesus learned how to, he learned how to hold on. He learned how to deal with all that humiliation and suffering. And then it has this interesting concept that he learned suffering, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and then it says he was made perfect. And again, you know, translations in different languages, we can kind of get tricked. What in the world is this concept of perfection really? What is it really getting at that, that Jesus was was made perfect? I thought he was the exact representation of God. I thought he never sinned. You've been saying all this stuff, Jeff. Surely he was already perfect. I don't get it, right? And we don't understand what this word really is getting at. It's this concept of being mature and complete. And, and ultimately, it's this concept of, of complete by reaching the, the desired goal. That's what you should see. Jesus actually, as a person in the flesh, as he lived like you and me, he actually made it to his desired goal. Okay, you know what that desired goal was? To do God's will that God had for his life. To, to live that sinless life. To offer his life as a sacrifice. Jesus, during his, his days on earth, like as a person, he actually made it to that desired goal. But what did it take? He had to suffer to get there. He had to endure suffering to get to that desired goal goal, but it helped him to get there because once he got there and completed his task and, and died on that cross and, and rose again, now he's available to give the rest of us eternal salvation. He made it to the goal, but it took suffering to get there. It took hardship. It took holding on to the faith, even though everyone around him said, you need to let go of your faith. And that's what the problem was 
with the author that the author was dealing with, with Hebrews. And that's the problem that many of us have too. We suffer, we get weak in our faith, and we want to drift, we want to run, we want to cut bait, and we want to go where it's comfortable. And we want to go where it's, you know, but Jesus gives us so much grace. That's the thing we got to remember. God's so gracious with us. He doesn't throw us away because we suffer or we're struggling. He wants to help us through the suffering. That's where we get closer to God, through the challenges. So let's not run away and shrink back and fall away. These are Hebrews terms when the suffering comes. Let's follow the example of Jesus as he lived in his life to stay with God, to hold on and to reach the desired goal and to be made perfect in our faith. And the author says, man, I got a lot to say about this. But then he gets a little snarky a little bit. I don't know. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Some translations. You have become sluggish in hearing. Some translations say something like, you just don't listen. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you the elementary stuff, the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You know what? You need milk, not solid food. How are you feeling about this if somebody wrote you this letter? We don't, sometimes we just don't like it when people, but hey, I appreciate the, the, the author of Hebrews. He, he knows these people, and he's being straightforward. You know, I want to make, you know, I want to talk more, but you, you've become sluggish in your hearing. Again, this is a theme that we've heard all throughout Hebrews, that when they hear the message, they don't respond and, and trust and eager determination to apply it. There's this, you know, oh yeah, I heard that before or whatever. But what is the effect of this sluggishness of hearing, you know, and not understanding is that they're, they're not really living up to the standard of what God really wants for their lives. They're not maturing. They're not reaching the goal. They're not becoming more complete in their faith. One of the ways that you know you've become more complete in the faith is you can teach others. You can teach others. And I'm not just saying teach your neighbor who doesn't know about God and teach them. That, that's, surely that's a part of it. But I think also we need to teach one another in the church too. I think there's a component of that here as well uh, that, that, that is lacking in this particular Christian community. I think there's a, there's a lack of just overall teaching you know, that's, that's going on. And what type of teaching? Well, we need, we need to teach one another how to hold true to the faith. We need to teach each other the, the deeper truths of, of God's Word. We need to be willing to share what God has given us to share with one another to help us hold on. You know, we live in a—we're the, the minority culture. The, the Christian followers are not the majority in this world, okay, guys? So, so we, we have values and we have beliefs that many don't hold to. And so sometimes when you're on your own and you're out there and somebody uh, uh, kind of assaults your beliefs in Jesus and who he is and what the, the Christian faith is, it's, it can be hard. But we got to be able to bolster one another's faith and, and we got to be able to, to teach each other and to reinforce the values of, of Christianity that have always been under attack. But, but, but in the church, we got to teach one another and hold each other up and keep fighting for what Jesus has taught us and has given us. We need to be teachers, and some of us in this room have simply just—we we aren't teaching for whatever reason, but here's the deal. If you're not teaching, you're not maturing. You're not, you're not going towards the goal 
the intended goal that God, I think, has for all of us to not just be uh, receptacles of God's word, but to go out there and, and give it to the world and give it to others inside the church. We got to get off the, the bottle, guys. We, we got we to gotta get out there and teach God's word in the church and out of the church. I like this quote that a community of teachers means a community of individual members reinforcing one another's hold on the major minority culture's values and goals, precisely the sort of community the Hebrews author must shape if they are to persist in their journey against the current and frequently the blasts of the dominant culture and arrive at their divinely appointed goal. We have a divinely appointed goal, too. Jesus had one during the days of his life. We have one, too. We won't make it if we're stuck just learning the same truths over and over again. We got to be willing to get out there and teach. So don't be just an infant, right? Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for Solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. We need the constant use. We, we need to constantly be training ourselves in Scripture. And here's the deal. Showing up and listening to somebody preach for 25 minutes on Sunday is not going to cut it. Not going to do it. This was not the goal. This does not help you reach your intended goal to sit here and listen to me for 25 minutes and think that's going to do it for you as far as your teaching is concerned and learning how to become a teacher. This is not constant use showing up every Sunday for 25 minutes to listen to the message. That's not what it's getting at. You've got to figure out what is good and what is evil, what is righteous and what is wrong. And this world has different values and different definitions for the same thing. And if you don't Get in the word constantly. You will not know how to tell the difference between right and wrong, and you will forever be an infant blaming everybody else while you're not growing spiritually. That's what will end up happening because it's the sign of immaturity when you blame everybody else for what you can't have and what you haven't figured out on your own. Let's not go there. And I appreciate the author of Hebrews taking a turn here and saying, well, you're responsible. <laughs> God, you've got all the benefactors in the world to help you. you got God. you got Jesus. You got benefits coming from heaven above. You got everything you need. You got a community around you. But you got the scriptures. You got the Holy Spirit. Stop just drinking it in, sitting and spectating. Get out there. Teach one another. Don't drift. Don't drift. Don't walk away. Don't die in that desert before you get to the promised land. Make it all the way to the intended goal. Because that's the point of the whole thing, right? Let's go to God in prayer for our Lord's Supper. Father, I just pray this morning that we can have the eyes of our heart opened, and we might be in a physical building right now and having our heads bowed, but I pray you can open the eyes of our heart, and we can see that we do have a great high priest 
who is in your presence even right now, who is alive. And Father, you have so many benefits. You, you love us. You're, you're our supreme patron, our supreme benefactor. You have so much favor, so much mercy, so much grace you just want to bestow upon us. And yet we've offended you. We, we, we just, we've sinned against you. And there's that deep chasm, but we're so grateful that right now we can see Jesus just in between us. And not just in between us, but there on behalf of us. We're so grateful for him. And we're going to take this bread that represents his body, and we're going we're to drink of this juice that represents his blood, and we're going to remember what he's doing for us right now, interceding for us and helping us, ushered, ushering us into your presence, into your throne room, where we can receive mercy and grace. And that fills us with joy. And I pray that we don't keep that joy to ourselves, but we remember you and share how amazing you are with others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.